So here we go with part two of... Hey, what? I just said I'm having a drag of water. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's fine. Disgraceful needing water. No, that's fine. That just makes it kind of an interesting and engaging opening to to, to this podcast. No, no, no. We're, no moments allowed. Time is money. We're only allowed an hour in this expensive yes. studio. Okay, know. go on, go on. I'm ready. Yeah, go. So it's the Q and A. So if you if you just jumped in on the Q and A for somebody, don't if you want to hear. All the, uh, the, the, I was going to say grisly details, it's not, it's not quite right. If you want to hear all the lovely details of Finders Keepers, then uh, look where you find this podcast because there'll be another, like Sabine Durant Part 1, this has been Durant Part 2. Question number one in our Q&A, Sabine, the last book you really, really, really enjoyed. I added another really there, so that's... You did, I yeah. Really. I noticed that. The, um, I, I'm going to say To Throw Away Unopened, who's by, which is by Viv Albertine, who is the guitarist with The Slits, the punk band. I don't oh, read very wow. much fiction. I mean, non-fiction. And um, I read this um, a week or so ago, and I just loved it. I mean, it's so honest and grim and open it starts with it's basically set over a 24-hour period when um two sisters are at their mother's the two sisters are at their mother's death on their mother's deathbed and they literally have a cat fight over the dying body of their mother <laughs> and it goes back to you know the book then goes back she goes back then to sort of their family their upbringing their absent father the stories their mother told about the father the stories the father told about the mother um, and the relationship between the two sisters, and it's utterly gripping um, and brilliant. It is. It's on my list. That book is on my list. I haven't had time to to catch up with it yet, but I've heard such good things about it. It's, no, it's such really a good. just sounds so strong. Um, right. Let's talk about uh, books. What is there a book you remember being read to you as a child? Yes, my mother read to me endlessly as, like, every night as a child when I was and probably over into, until I was about twelve. She used to weep, my mother, when she read to me a lot, um, and I remember her weep being just, um, um, you know, unrestrainedly when she got to a line in The Rescuers by Marjorie Sharp, which Miss Bianca, who's the sort of white, glamorous mouse, says to Bernard, the little brown mouse, you're not a wet blanket, you're a Persian rug. And I remember my mother just just not being able to get the words out because she was crying so hard. Um, but that, the book I was going to say, apart from that, actually, was The Secret Garden, which um, is the first psychological thriller, really, that um, I suppose I was I was I ever read. It's got a creepy house. It's got a brilliant, um, intriguing, dark main character um, and, you know, a character who's sour and unpleasant. But you root for her despite that, which is which is one of my favorite things. So. Secret For more sour, unpleasant it. people, you can look at Finders Keepers, which is Sabine's current <laughs> uh, book. Whose books do you own the most of, Sabine? Well, I own lots of people's complete works, but I think the more books I've got of, of a person who wrote a lot of books is Georgette Hare. So I have lots, I could even see three copies of The Black Sheep from where I'm sitting in my bed. Um, partly because... Um, my fa- I didn't. I never really knew my father, and he was a pilot in the fleet air arm. But one thing I did, I've got two books belonging to him. One was is called Knots, Splices, and Fancy Work, which is about how to do knots, and the other is a copy of the Grand Sophie by Georgette Hare with his name in it. And I find that incredibly touching. And my mother said that he loved Georgette Hare, which um, just seems intriguing to me. And I have got my own copies. I've got his copies. I've got copies that I've also found clearing out my mother's house with my grandmother's and my great grandmother's name. And so it's obviously, and I read, I've read her since I was a child and I, she's one of my comfort reads. So Georgette Hare. 
That's great. I love the fact that you've got three copies of that book because I've got <laughs> like multiple copies of books and I always wondered whether that was a bit weird, but it's good to know that someone else who's got multiple copies of the same book. I mean, book. it's sort of accidental. Um, I probably should get rid of them, but anyway, yes. No, 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 don't get rid of them. Uh, keep mm. them, that's what I think. Um, right, uh, how long do you give a book or are you completely crazy and finish a book even if you're not enjoying it? I always finish a book. I would what? have said, I would oh, have said right. okay, until okay. lockdown and something odd happened, which is that I thought actually I was reading a book and I was not enjoying it at all. And I've decided to stop reading it. And that's Good. really unusual for me. I would probably wasn't to say what it was, but. That would, so there is, there is somewhere, there's a, there's, <laughs> is it a fi piece of fiction? It's a piece of non-fiction by somebody non who wrote, who writes fiction. And I read one of this person's books and loved it. And thought, oh, I'm going to read something else. And I picked up this other book, and I disliked it. But I mean, I maybe I should have finished it. Maybe I wouldn't have disliked it if I had. Got no, to the no, end you shouldn't it. have finished it. No, we shouldn't <laughs> feel guilty about books that we don't finish. This no. is my crusade. It's the one thing in this podcast that I'm going to achieve, and that is to have people stop reading books that they don't like. Okay, all right. I'm going to carry on then. Okay, so uh, describe your bookshelves, which I think is a way of saying how do you organise your bookshelves rather than saying, well, uh, you know, it's a bit too much. <laughs> they're made out of plywood and painted white. Um, well, there are a lot of bookshelves in the house, but the main bookshelves are divided paperback fiction, hardback fiction. That's two sort of alcoves. And then there's a wall of books, which is slightly more to do with whether it's journalism, reportage, travel, sport, none of them belonging to me, but my partner reads and was a sports writer, so has a lot of sports books, um, poetry. Um, and I do, I have a very good visual memory. So I, if I need a book, even the bit that's got a bit messy in the last bit, I can always find a book. Is that enough? Is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, can you remember the first book you bought with your own money? And own money includes pocket money. Yes. So I definitely do because um, I can't remember exactly. I think it was Five Go to Smuggler's Top, number four in the Famous Five series. But I remember so vividly that excitement of anybody of our age who um, you got a book token at Christmas and then you probably had to wait till the 29th, maybe even after New Year, to go to WH Smith in Putney High Street in my case. Upstairs, I can still remember the smell of the bookshelves and the layout. And um, those Enid Blythons, they were numbered, the famous five, one to 22. And I probably was given three for Christmas or and so maybe it was the third that I went to book, but I remember just that. And then if you got there and they didn't have the number that you wanted, that terrible sense, you had to order it and wait. And so, yes. Chapter one, back to Kieran Cottage. One fine day, right at the beginning of the Easter holidays, four children and a dog travelled by train together. It's the opening line of the famous five, go to Smuggler's Top. There you go. Oh, wow. wow. It's book, no it's book wow. number four, because I realised, because we don't normally do the programme for my back bedroom is that it, my answer to the question how many you know whose books do you own the most of it's Enid Blyton because we've got all we've got all of the famous oh, five really? and there are loads there are wow. loads aren't there yeah <laughs> I know no one's interested but I just thought I you know if you mention a book and I can just take it from <laughs> I mean why not amazing. Yeah. I thought you'd google yeah. you've actually taken it from your shelves how amazing no it's here it's here mm. I've got it and yeah. it's like page 25 <laughs> when you realize that the bad person is always the gypsy <laughs> <laughs> I know that's awful, don't it? It's terrible. I was wondering when that was going to come up again. But it's true. There's a circus in town. Oh, well, I wonder. Mm. 
There's a circus type. It'll definitely oh, be him. God, it's awful, isn't it? The terrible things that one read as a child and got inside one's brain. I know, but you editorialise, don't you? When you're reading them out to your kids, are you, you know you skip over a bit, or you say, oh, "Well, we wouldn't say that now." No, well, obviously, exactly. yes, different time. <laughs> um, is there a book that you have ever used to impress somebody? Like it's tucked in your back pocket or in your handbag or something. Well, I, I can't remember the precise person, but I have a copy of a book um, by David Mamet called Writing in Restaurants, which is really dog-eared and the spine is broken and it looks like I've read it a million times. I've never, ever read it, but I do remember carrying it around with me because I thought it looked quite good. I think because it's called Writing in Restaurants, I thought it would be quite cool to read it in restaurants. So yeah. that book. But actually, funny enough, I used to read not to impress someone. I used to... My When I first met the person that I'm now married to, he was a pop critic, and the only way I could see him was to go to concerts. And I was rather a sort of quiet, bookish person, and I didn't really want to go and see Prince or Michael Jackson or, I mean, terrible, or, you know, I had such a waste. But I used to sit at Wembley watching K.D. Lang reading. I remember reading the John Goldsworthy, The Forsyth Saga, which isn't even a particularly cool book. <laughs> Wow, you were, you're an exciting date. <laughs> that was just terrible. I'm so mortified looking back. What did you do, <laughs> mummy, in the 1980s? I read John Goolsworthy, the James Taylor concert. <laughs> Quick, Prince is doing Purple Rain. Not now, I'm just on page 85. <laughs> yes, I'm um, going to read right. Five Go to the Circus again. <laughs> Um, is, is there a book you'd love to step inside of, Sabine? Well, I loved all those Regency books, but I've got a terrible thing about teeth. I'm really paranoid about the dentist, so I just don't think I could go into a Georgette Hare or a Jane Austen. Um, so can I say Nigel Slater's Kitchen Diaries? Can I be cooked for by Nigel wow. Slater every night for yeah, a year? Yeah, yeah. Good answer. That's a good answer, good yeah. Answer. It's a great answer. Is there, this is go back to the conversation which you can find in a, a previous podcast about endings. Have you ever got to the end of a book and thought that was all fine, but I'd like to change the ending because I'm very upset and disappointed? <laughs> I was thinking about this because um, I think if you, I think well, this terrible self-esteem, which is that, so Little Women, I remember being so disappointed that Joe doesn't end up with Laurie when I was a child. and But thinking, you know, in subsequent years that that was my failing, that somehow life was darker and more interesting and that she was better off with the professor who maybe they had better sex or something. I don't know. But anyway, reading it to my daughter, she was so furious that mm. Joe doesn't end up with Laurie that I thought, actually, that is a problem with the ending. If you're furious at something, then, you know, they should, maybe there was this is this wonderful love story and they should have ended up. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree? Um, well, on, on a sort of similar topic then, is there a book that you'd like to write the sequel to? Um, oh, I think I'd like, it's just all right to say the sequel to one of the books I've written. I'd like to yeah. write the sequel to um, Lie With Me, which is my most successful thriller. And it's the question people most often ask me, are you going to write a sequel? And um, I'd like to be able to. I just don't have the competence, really. I thought I'd sort of finished it. But if I could get my act together, that's what I would write the sequel to. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. I think that's terrific. Uh, what, who's the favourite writer that you've actually met physically? I mean, they always say that thriller writers are really lovely and that romance writers are terrible. That's an awful cliche, isn't it? I mean, just awful. Where does that come from? But it is true that every crime writer that I've met at any festival 
has just been so lovely and everyone is incredibly supportive to each other. So I'm not going to pick out any of those. And I have friends who are writers. The only writer that I used to do an interview at The Guardian, I used to do a weekly interview and I got to interview lots of writers. And the only one who offered to give me all his money was Charles Webb, who recently died, who wrote The Graduate. And he famously didn't have very much money because he made no money from The Graduate. But he did sell the film rights to his second book, Hope Springs. And after he met me, he tried to give it to me. It was the most extraordinary thing. And my agent had to stop him, him and his lovely wife, Fred, because they were all about giving away their money. They bought houses and then would leave them behind and give them to people. Um, so there you go. I'm going to say the night, the only person, lovely, the, wow. so lovely, he tried to give me any wealth that he had. Good Charles Lord. Webb. I, I, I am going to go along with the thriller writers are great. And, well, I, I don't know any uh, romantic fiction writers, but it feels to me similar to my, my maximum life as far as rock bands are concerned is, and it's only rock bands, is the harder the rock, the more pleasant the people in the band. And bluntly, you know, <laughs> people, the, the, the various members of Megadeth are great guys to be around. Just and you want to be absolute, Yes, absolutely. <laughs> whereas, as opposed to Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, exactly. Bon Jovi. Less said, the better. Um, is there an author, <laughs> Sabine, that you like to quote? Um, I like to quote Robert Harris, who I who I once heard say that the best way to write a book was to treat it like a piece of reportage, piece of journalism, and to have planned it out to such an extent um, that you already know what's happened. So you are just writing down something that has already happened, and that's, that's great, just such a yeah. brilliant piece of advice. Is there a book that always cheers you up that you go back to and uh, in difficult times and think, oh, this might be fun? Yes. Jilly Cooper, one of her, um, either Harriet, Imogen, Emily, but possibly Octavia is my favourite, which I would recommend to anybody who needs cheering up. They're total joy. They're hilariously funny. They have awful, unreliable narrators and um, they're just sort of that joyous 1970s letting it all hang out, not embarrassed to say anything, and just pure pleasure. They're just so, I mean, I remember, so Ian Rankin came on and he's a, a massive fan of Jilly Cooper's. And as a, as a result of that, I read Riders uh, for the first time. And that is enormous fun. It's just so much it's fun. It's great Jilly fun, Cooper. but they're very, it's very different. I mean, it is, it's terrific, isn't it? I never, I remember, yeah, oh, never mind. I was going to say something. Well, is this, there's a moment in that when somebody peels off somebody else's knickers. And I remember reading it aged about 14 or maybe 15. When did it come out? I don't know, maybe much older. Anyway, it was just the expression peeling off the knickers. I found rather sexy. <laughs> but Harriet, Imogen, Emily and Octavia are much more, they're just jollier. They're just, um, oh, I mean, she, that's jolly too. But there's, they're just, there's something incredibly innocent about them. Okay, and and finally, a, a question that I feel is a little unfair, but but anyway, we're going to ask it. What book means the most to you? It's interesting, isn't it? Because there are books that I completely adore, but I think you have to have these. It's just, people feel sort of, you know, all of Jane Austen, but particularly Persuasion or Pride and Prejudice. But you realise that books, for it to mean something, you have to feel that it sort of means something to you and you alone. And I feel that there are too many people for whom Jane Austen means something. And there's even a phrase, the Janeites, that I've only discovered recently, which are people who feel that they have total ownership of Jane Austen. So in terms of a book that I've really, really loved, 
but also I don't feel that anybody else does. I mean, not now. It's very unfashionable, I think. It's Aris Murdoch's The Black Prince, because I wrote my dissertation on it at university. And I think she's wonderful. But she, and that book is a, has this, you know, it's incredibly complicated story. And in fact, it does have murder in it and um, adultery and unreliability and morality and it's also got a brilliant structure it's bookended by different versions of an event of events which is something that always interests me but also I think I'm going to choose that because as I say I feel that it's it can be mine and mine alone if I choose it okay I think uh, no certainly no one has chosen that one so far uh Sabine <laughs> Durant's current book is Finders Keepers if you'd like to hear Sabine talking about that then uh, look for another podcast where you've got this one uh, Sabine, thank you very much indeed. We look forward to your next epistle when it comes out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.